and welcome to Joe Talks Comics. This is the podcast where I talk with friends about the comics that we've been reading and enjoying lately, plus occasional solo episodes and creator interviews. This week, I got to talk with Dan Price about Bigfoot Knows Karate Henagun, a black and white one shot comic that delves deeper into the tale of Bigfoot, written by KCT Allen and Dan Price, drawn by Adam Caswell, and published by Lesser Known Comics, an awesome indie comics company. They've also published David Luhans, Yuroko, and Lirido, who I got to talk to on the podcast earlier this year. But yeah, this is a... I got to read the first issue of the original series in preparation for this issue, and it was a really fun issue, but still with a lot of emotional depth behind it, which I know is something that we get into in this conversation, which was great to talk about. And just generally reading this off from the some of the copy, it's a self-contained story, it's good for readers of the main series or someone picking up Bigfoot Knows Karate for the first time. I think good Godzilla vs. Kong meets Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon on steroids. It's currently live on Kickstarter until October 20th, so link is in the description as always, as well as links to Dan on Instagram and Twitter. And yeah, it's, it's already fully funded, which is amazing, so congrats to them, because we recorded this before it was even live, so I'm really pleased for them. And yeah, just go support it and see how much they can gather, because as always, these in the comics need your support, etc. All of that good stuff. If you've been around it before, you, you know all of that, but it's always worth saying. Apart from that, I hope you enjoy the conversation. I hope you go decide to back the comic book. I mean, if you look on the Kickstarter page, some of the art is just so cool. It's incredible. But this one shot in particular, Adam's artwork is, oh. But yeah, I'll see you on the other side, as always. So, Dan, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you here. Thanks so much, Joe, for having me on. Yeah, it's I think it's always fun when I get a new email from, like, Jeff, as I've probably mentioned a few times on these sorts of conversations, who organises some of these. And because the the, the the title of the comic that he's sort of arranging to promote is always naturally the first thing you're going to read. And... I think it's always fun when there's like a, t- a really fun title that has like an instant re- appeal, like it's, it can sort of grab your attention instantly. Like a few months ago, I talked, I talked to the like the writer of this book called Unicorn Vampire Hunter, and I was like sold immediately. <laughs> and so right. this was sort of like a similar one where it's like, so it's called Bigfoot Nose Karate, and I'm like, say no more. Uh, I want to know more. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I know. It's uh, I love the title of this book. It, it it throws people off, you know? I mean, it, it, it immediately seems to grab people's attention, and then they have an assumption of what the story is going to be. And then they read the comic, and they're like, that's not what I thought it was going to I thought it was going to be a comedy, and, you know, it's really this action-adventure psychological thriller. So it it's a good title. I think that... Uh, I think it, you know, from just from a straight up, you know, grab your attention. I think it's a win for sure. Yeah, and I think it sort of speaks to a couple of things. Where one one of them was literally in the past hour or so before recording, I read like a writer's newsletter. John Lee's great writer and great person. Um, and he was sort of talking about the like audience perception, audience expectations, where how some. People like might, some readers might go into a comic expecting one thing, and it might even sort of be like set up by like say like a first issue, and then if that sort of changes over time, and it sort of takes a swerve, but the reader 
isn't necessarily expecting. I thought that was an interesting point you talked about where he was basically saying that if he wants to write something that's a bit different to what he's written before, then people might be like caught off guard, but it means he's like writing what he wants, which is the important thing. And I think that's always a interesting and important point with like creators, especially on an indie indie title. Well, you know, I uh my background is in comedy comics. That's what I got <laughs> my start doing. And um you know, my first book was called Latex Avenger, and he had a sidekick's spermicidal foam lad, and together they repelled crime 99.9% of the time. You know, and uh, I did a lot of those types of comics. I did seven or eight issues of Latex Avenger, and then uh, went on to do a project called Masters of the Obvious for Hound Comics. And that was a uh, superhero, or that was a sci-fi uh, space parody. Characters like Dr. Biclops, you got two eyes, and the visible woman, you can't miss her. And uh, went on from there, and did a project for Stanley Foundation. It was a Y7 comedy. And when I left comics for about six, seven years, I was raising my kids and doing that whole thing. And my wife said to me, you know, during the pandemic, you know, when we were in lockdown, why don't you uh, start doing a uh, comic again? And the last thing I wanted to do was go back to the well. I, you know, I had been there, done that. And um, I had been tooling around with this character for a couple of years, called, you know, that was Bigfoot, you know, doing martial arts. And, um, you know, I mean, I had had the character, I had the title since like two, 2014, 2015, because it was originally going to be a comedy. And I just, Ditched it. Like, this is just not, it's not what it needs to be. And came back to the character in like 2017, 2018 and started drawing the character. And he had these deep, sunken eyes, you know, and this just this look of like sadness on his face. And I was like, you know, what if you were, a, what if you were a Bigfoot? What if you, nobody knew you existed? Nobody, you were the only one of your kind. And uh, the world just never knew you. What would that do to your psyche? And, you know, karate. And it was one of those things that it was like, you know, I've written comedy. I, it was time to do something different. I wanted to do something broader in scope, action adventure, psychological thriller. And I connected with Casey Allen, my co-writer, on the project. And, you know, first Casey was coming in as consulting and then I uh, was coming in as consulting and then was doing um, was doing uh, the, you know, uh, editing and then just came on as a co-writer because he was bringing so many good ideas to the table. And you can't just write what you know all the time. I know that's like the writer's rule, write what you know, write what you know. But fact of the matter is, sometimes it's good to write what you don't know. Push yourself out of those boundaries that you've already created for yourself and stretch yourself as a writer. And that was a really big deal to me on this project because um, I wanted to do something different. The, uh, my audience, like the, the little one that I had on Instagram, so supportive of the Bigfoot No Sparati character. I mean, just immediately pushing out fan art and that sort of thing. And it was like, it's time, you know, it's time to do this. And so here we are. And it, it, it's, it's just a great feeling to have a couple books under the belt now and going into the new Kickstarter for Hennigan, the one, the black and white one shot that we're doing with artist Adam Caswell. It's just growing into a life of its own. And, you know, I would never have gotten that if I'd gone to the well. Yeah. And I think that there's something where the, these sorts of, I mean, I mentioned about the names, the, those sorts of comics could easily be like superficial or sort of very shallow under like, 
at, at different creators which maybe didn't have the same sort of passion where but but actually like this and like Unicorn Vampire Hunter are both very sort of like heartfelt like passionate comics that do have the like weight and and, and in this case the sort of gravitas so as you say like I think I, I felt that when you talked about like his eyes where it, it feels like dramatic it's not just um like like a cheap like one joke humor with like like the name it is actually something that it's, it's a great name but it's like a, a entertaining and like built out story beyond that yeah no uh yes 100 percent. you know and it does have some funny moments in it there's a character in the uh first book his name is kung fu thulu and yes you know thulu does martial arts and he's got you know and he's a cross between Max Cady from Cape Fear, the De Niro version, and uh, and Macho Man Randy Savage. I mean, that's really where we base the character, uh, you know, the character traits on. And so he's got some good stuff to say. Bigfoot, on the other hand, he doesn't have anything to say. <laughs> you know, it's all inner monologue for him. He's a highly intelligent uh, character, but he's, you know, mute in the first one and only drops one word in the second one. And, uh, you know, and it's, uh, but it's neat getting to explore that. It's really cool. Yeah, I think, and as I always say this, but those are some of like, the comics that I really enjoy where, like, it is just cool to start with, but then it also is, like, incredibly entertaining. Like, even with, like, Kung through the like, it's just, it's so fun to say, but it also has that, like, drama in, in, in the story. And I think... I, I really like the art in this book, so like looking at it, and not just the actual like art itself, which does have a nice like cartoonish feel, almost like an adult animation, but mm-hmm. with, like the the rough sort of panel borders and like the like the lettering that's sort of appropriate font for the, this sort of like karate um atmosphere and aesthetic, I, and it all just feels like a really solid like comic book that like, comes together stylistically, which is nice. Yeah, you know, when I was drawing it and designing what the look and feel would be, you know, the the uh words that were going through my head were like kinetic, organic, mm. grungy, you know, and give it that slight nod to that eastern vibe, you know, and you know, with the brushwork and that sort of thing. And but still be true to myself as an artist and how I would draw, which is really comes from a cartoony place. And but I wanted it to look different than anything else I'd drawn. And it the execution of it, I think, came together very well. Um, you know, I'm you gotta understand, like I'm when I was drawing on Latex Avenger, like people would say to me, Why don't you just hire an artist? That's a bitter pill to swallow, Joe. And uh but I did. I did. And then when I um around twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen, I switched to digital to a digital format for drawing, I draw an Adobe Illustrator, and um, which is a tool that I use constantly for work. And um, I started bringing my my artwork to Illustrator and using all the tools that I, I use for my day job. It was like, why not, you know, draw this way? And it, it definitely elevated my artwork. Um, and because I'm I'm just a crappy anchor. In reality, I'm just a crappy inker. And uh, so to be able to ink more fluidly in Illustrator and be able to, you know, control Z my way out of something if it's not working right, it's just such a freeing feeling. Um, but I think that having that freedom and that was able to give me that looseness and not be so stiff in the inks. 
And I think that was all the difference in the world, frankly. Yeah, and there's sort of another thing that always comes up in these conversations when I'm always talking to, by this point, like various different combinations of like people and their talents, like people that are only writers, people that are only artists, people that can do both, sometimes being fortunate enough to have both the writer and artist on, etc. And I think that's something that occasionally comes up with writers is how and sort of writer artists on the on the flip side is how cool it can be to have that freedom to just like draw it yourself like as you want it and maybe you don't get quite the, the collaboration in the same way or that I know you've got a co writer on this one but um which is another form of like, collaboration here. But I think so it's just always interesting like the various levels of control that these creators have in the, in their projects. You know, it's it's so nice to be able to draw the project myself. Um you know, I mean, I do have the collaboration with Casey, um, which is this book wouldn't be anything without him. I mean, I, I, I mean, I had skeletons and I had the Bible and all of that, but you know, the pacing and the and just the nuances and that sort of thing, Casey brings that to the table. You know, he, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, and um, and now with Hinnegan, with Bigfoot and Esperati Hinnegan, which is the prequel book that we have coming out, uh, which is it's. You know that we we get that that uh that full collaboration now working with an artist and Adam Caswell. It's um it's pretty incredible. It's it's a pretty incredible process and and so different uh, because you know the thing about uh, drawing yourself is you can afford yourself very easily. <laughs> you know you don't have to paint yourself. Uh, when you're working mm-hmm. with an artist, you know you got to make sure everybody's being compensated properly, and uh, because that's just important. We're we're all adults here. There's no reason to ask for freebies, you know, and uh, nor should the artist be willing to do that. I, I know a lot of artists who get taken advantage of in the industry and uh, for pay rates, and so it is important to me that we're paying fairly and doing all of that. Uh, but also on top of that, you know, you want to um, you want to you want to have a good teamwork environment where everybody is, you know, everybody feels good about the project. It, it's a different animal completely. I, I'm glad I get to ride both sides of the fence on this one because, you know, I get to draw the main story arc. You know, right now I'm working on chapter three, uh, Hellhound on my trail and uh, and getting that going while Adam is finishing up. Pentagon right now so it's it's pretty cool because we got a lot of we got a lot of things happening all at once and poor casey's gotta you know be involved in all of it. so it's pretty wild yeah so you, you mentioned i think that this was different sort of artistically to what, what you've drawn before did you sort of try yeah. to hit like a specific style with this then did you have to sort of try something different and evolve your your style a bit or did how so naturally did it that, that come about or not at all. So you're talking about me uh, drawing on, you know, drawing a different style for Big Fitness Karate. I'm not Adam drawing the Big Fitness Karate Hinnegan book and jumping stuff. So I just want to make sure I understand the question. Boy. So how, how you are on Big Fitness Karate might be different from like something else that you've drawn before. Oh, okay. So um, yeah, I'm pretty, these days especially, I'm pretty fluid in terms of drawing styles. Um, I was working on a uh, on a um, kind of a a primer book that had a bunch of different projects in it. Uh, at one point, it had uh, Bigfoot Nose Karate. It had a story uh, called Hit, which was a mafia story, 
And then there was this other one called, um, what was it called? 93 AD. And it was, and that was drawn in like an early 90s uh, image style that was really reminiscent of that. And then the hit piece was drawn in uh, noir style. And so I was fooling around with this concept because of these concepts. And I just had not, uh, had not gotten there yet. You know what I mean? Like I just had not uh, found the right project, but it was really great getting to draw on these three different styles. And then I was also working on a thing called Double Barreled Mojo, which I'll pick. Back. I'll pick all these, well, except for ninety-three AD. That's trash. But uh, the uh, I'll pick back up on these things at some point. And that was drawn in a very clean, very uh, neo-noir style. You know, very uh, noir, but it, a lot of uh, fluorescence and that sort of thing in it. And um, it's pretty cool because, you know, to be able to draw in different styles and based on the project, like um, I did, I did some work for, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him. His name is Drew Edwards. He does a book called Halloween Man. It was just nominated for a Ringo Award. Um, um, Yeah. And so I did some work for Drew in in a few different times. And, but one of the things that I really enjoyed doing was he had me do some interiors for a short story. And he said to me beforehand, he goes, what do you want to draw? And I was like, I want to draw horror, you know, because I'd never drawn horror before. And that was the thing that really helped me between drawing uh, the sample drawings of Bigfoot Notes Karate and sample pages. Uh, that story was also one of those things that really helped me get to the style I'm in now, because it was, again, very brushy, not a skirt blacks, um, you know, which was a, just so much fun to do. A lot of silhouette work and that sort of thing. And, but the action scenes were very kinetic. And, um, I mean, I'm really grateful for that five page story because it really helped me craft the look that I'm doing now. Yeah. And then, as I mentioned, uh, again, with going on to like Hennigan, where even that is like a very different art style to mm-hmm. the main Bigfoot Nose Karate comic. And I sort of mentioned how that like the main series has more of a like it's still violent but more like a cartoonish um adult animation kind of style and i think it's really cool how for this like prequel flashback story hennigan has this very like visceral and sort of detailed style from adam in in, black and white which i think i think there's also something really interesting about like black and white where you can just really make it like evocative and visceral because you've got to you don't have any like color to express the things you just have to make it use like inks and things to to make it really rich and and detailed and moody adam's killing it yeah uh, there's no other way to say it adam's killing it you know we met adam uh through a piece of fan art actually and uh he sent me a note and it was it, it was you know i really think what you're doing uh i'd like to you know i've done this piece of fan art and i'd like to mail it to your house because i really just love what you're working on and it was really kind of him and he mailed me the art piece and it was just and i was like well can't just keep it you know i feel bad um, but we were planning a deluxe edition for Bigfoot One. And the deluxe edition, the difference was that it was the same story, but it also had like a 10 page fan art gallery in the back. Because we've received now up to, a, we've received over 150 pieces of fan art. And so we took 10 really choice pieces, put it in the back. And then we uh, also uh, received, uh, we also created. You, I don't know if you remember director's commentary on DVDs, but you click on there and it would 
kind of a different audio track into the movie, and you could hear what the uh, what the director, writer, whoever was thinking, uh, you know, when they were working on the project. So we did the same thing. We did that as a um, as a uh, QR code in the back of the book, and you clicked on the back of the book and um, QR code, and it would take you to a YouTube video with myself and Casey and a few other talking heads, great people, and we uh, all, you know, got to speak about the book at length. And it was a lot of fun. I mean, that was like an hour and a half long video. The one for book two was a two hour video. But we just all had a lot to say about it. And it made it a lot of fun. Um, I would. Uh, and so on those deluxe editions, we wanted to make them special. So Adam did the cover. We, we paid Adam for the fan art, put it on the cover of issue one uh, on the deluxe. And that cover actually went on to win. I think it was called the Master of the Comic Book Cover Award from Comics Wellspring Printer, and um, which was awesome. And then we did, uh, and then with book two, he did a wraparound cover between, it was a battle scene between, uh, or they were like squaring off between Bigfoot and uh, a um, Minotaur, which is a story, a part of the story of book two. And so we had him on covers. It just seemed, you know, and we, you know, we basically established Adam's part of the team at this point. So it was a no-brainer to have him come on and do interiors. In fact, this is his very first interior art that he's done for uh, be published for a comic book. Uh, he's, his background is in, like, um, fantasy art and that sort of thing, concept art, but he's never gone this route. And he's bringing a real intensity to it. You know, the detail oriented is so cool, but his action and his movement and all of that, there's not there's not a stiff, you know, stiff feeling in the book, which I personally can appreciate because I hate I hate when our comics are just so stiff. Yeah, I think that's always like really frustrating when especially like if like the writing's good and you just sort of can't get into the art for whatever reason. I really love like I quite enjoy like fantastic four comics i've been reading sort of more and more catching up on like the classic runs and things mm-hmm. and more like recently with like the current run with written by brian north and art by even Corello. and i absolutely adore when artists can like take someone like johnny storm human torch and really make the fire so like not just sort of vibrant but like fluid and that was something because Quello also did some like random work a, a few years ago, and I think it's really cool when you can like make those things like feel like liquidy or like fluid. Or sometimes when you sort of reading something and like the colors are so vibrant, you feel like you can like touch it and get like wet paint on your hand or something. That that sort of like sure. um that texture is always find really satisfying. Texture's key, um, at least for me as an artist. Uh, to, yeah. um, you know, I do an overlay on all my pages with a piece of parchment paper, and it just helps kind of bring out texture in the page. Uh, also, the way I color, I do a lot of clipping masks, and I use a lot of brush strokes within the clipping masks. And so that uh, helps bring that brushiness to the, uh, to the individual characters, you know, as well as the panel borders and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, texture, fluidity, I mean, look, I can't compare myself to these guys that you're talking about, obviously, but um, it's a whole different animal. Um, I'm, I don't I don't have Marvel chops, nor do I have the aspiration to go there. But it's uh, because I, I just personally love creating indie comics and coming up with your own IP. Uh, call me a child of the early 90s image boom. But that's just mm. that was what was so exciting for me when I was a kid. 
it wasn't really the characters in the books. It was more like these are their characters. You know, this is Jim Lee or Blyfeld or Tom McFarlane or Derek Larson's characters. You know, this was them, Valentino. Uh, they were all doing such unique things. Well, some of them were doing some really unique things. Um, and a lot of them were just like, you know, you know, re- you know, teen books again and again. But uh, but there was some really there were some gems in there, too. I mean, heck, man, uh, I, 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 you know, the fact that Savage Dragon and Spawn have, you know, rolled on as long as they have this incredible. This has nothing to do with texture and fluidity, um, but, it, it, you know, but I just it's something that really is important to me as a creator, just because you couldn't do what we do in indie over at a Marvel comic. It's very rare that you can take, you know, these indie styles and, you know, you know unless you know, you've got a Mike Allred on X-Force or something like that. But it's, it's, it's the, it's the, uh, it's not the rule, it's the exception. Yeah, and, and I mean, you have, thinking of, like, Hennigan and the, I mean, we're talking about text, about the roughness, about the grit in the, the art, and some of that, oh, some yeah. pages in the, the press folder, it's sort of, I, I mean, talking about, like, sort of 80s and 90s comics that, what I've seen of like the internet art, like the original Turtles comics, when they they have like that dark and like mysterious, and again that like that grit to them, which I know sort of made them so popular and uh, such a hit at the time before they evolved onto like exploded in which is a like, whole conversation, but in those like indie environments and audiences, as you say, the past like few decades have just taken those things and just had that that greater freedom. Freedom is the word. You nailed it right with that with that word right there. Freedom is the reason I think I mean I'd like to think that most indie creators do what they do. Uh some are trying to break in and get to the to a bigger company and that's totally cool. Um but I think that the think that the um the fact that we do have freedom in our work and the freedom to create how we, how we want to create what we want to do uh that's so that's where it's at for me you know um can't imagine being you know i've done i've done things with heavy editorial before and that was cool i did it for that experience completely i wanted to know what it was like when i worked on the uh excelsius for the stanley foundation there was editors lawyers all sorts involved in it because we were playing we were towing a line on marvel ip we couldn't there were certain things we couldn't could not do and um so um yeah it was it was a different experience completely and uh and i enjoyed it for what it was but it was also enough for me to say okay i'm good there you know what i mean yeah and it and it's sort of no, i think i mentioned this concept before in the, in the podcast but the idea of like different rungs of like freedom and control and um sort of like like different levels where you have like the sort of kickstarter people which is like very like almost true indie true indie but so very very like raw indie and then you have the more like publisher orientated stuff which are very bearing rares varies from like all the way up to image like itself to all the various smaller publishers and then of course you have like marvel and dc which is at the top of the, the ladder almost in terms of um yeah I love the fact that you use the phrase true indie. Mm. Um, it's a, it's a term that I am actually champion. Uh, it's something that I, it's a phrase that's rolled through my head many times over the last couple of years. And the reason I'm partial to it is because I don't think of people who are putting out, you know, I'm lucky I'm with a company called lesser known comics 
and we're, you know, an indie, it's an indie comics publisher and they really take good care of us. It's pretty incredible. But, um, you know, but I started out doing self-publishing with this book and other books that I've worked on. Some of them have moved on to publishers. Some of them didn't. And that's totally great. But the thing about it is, is that, you know, small press is nothing more than just those great ideas that haven't reached the mainstream yet. So to call them small, I don't think that's the right terminology. True indie mm-hmm. are the people who are doing that creator-owned book that haven't reached uh, haven't reached a larger publisher yet, whether it's like a boom or an image or something. And those are those are those are mainstream indie books. But um, and you know, kudos to everybody who gets to work at those labels. Um, but I just feel like there is small press isn't isn't small, man. True indie is how I would categorize that. Yeah, and I sort of said it, and then maybe pulled it back a bit because I don't. I think it's always fascinating when you have so many different people working in the industry, and they all sort of got in through like different avenues and all working on their own things. And I think it's sort of very important and interesting to like differentiate between those different like rungs, as I as I mentioned, where like you don't want to. Um, sort of like diminish someone's like struggles if they're like putting out an image book because that's, that's not like it's not to say that that's easy just because they're with a publisher it's somehow an easier but I think it, it, it is just sort of there's just lots of different and like unique experiences with, with, with like even like publisher to publisher I mean there's sort of various um like publisher based in the options these days of like boom studios and uh, vault comics and i mean aftershock comes to mind but oof, that, that's um that's a whole thing and and so many <laughs> and then, and then yeah you have like people like less than comics and platforms like kickstarter and 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 even if people aren't like crowdfunding at all if they're just literally self-publishing it on their website it's all um yeah it's just so many different like scales and and like levels of like audiences and things it is um yeah there's definitely rungs i guess is a good way to put it but um i would prefer you know it's it's just they haven't gotten there yet you know Mm -hmm. that's all it is the people haven't gotten there yet and so it is it's wild to me that um it's wild to me that you can that you know people can get where they want to go it's just going to take a bit of work to get there you know what i'm saying it's like um you know i was listening to a twitter space recently um and people were talking about this very subject and it's a subject that i guess is worth conversations but the to to worry about it to me is like the last thing that anybody needs to do. You know, we all just need to be focusing on our books and doing the best we can with the, with the uh, projects we're working on. But there is this, un- you know, unofficial hierarchy in indie comics mm. and, you know, where you're, you know, you're self-publishing, you're trying to get noticed by bigger creators, you know, and bigger labels and that sort of thing, you know, fund a bit higher on Kickstarter and then, then you, you, you know, as these people were saying on the Twitter space, then you've reached, you know, the next level. You know, I don't know about all that, but you know, because if you're focusing in on what you're doing and you're really trying your hardest to put out the best book possible, and you're bringing something new and interesting to the table, it'll get noticed. You know, and um, there's so many great, so many great indie creators. You know, I have friends who were just putting out such interesting stuff. I mean, like there's an upcoming book by Brandon DePels called Autolus. 
it's just it's so different. Or, you know, um, another guy I know, Christopher Michael, who have a book called Frit, and it's based on the D&D campaign. It's just so different. And um, like a homebrewed D&D campaign, it's pretty incredible. So, um, you know, I just give it up to the indie creators out there. I mean, got a guy that I know who's does a book. It's called End of Days. His name's Jerry Cooley. And it's a big, it's set in Victorian London, but it's like Supernatural meets Jack the Ripple. So cool. Never finds it anywhere else. Yeah. And I think maybe, maybe part of my natural sort of um, conclusion, maybe not con- conclusion, but where I'm sort of like heading with, with this is that the idea that I think maybe, maybe some of this language is sort of quite loaded, like describing it as like a ladder, it's quite sort of loaded in. And then maybe for some people, there's sort of like an element of pretension that everyone is just like trying to work up to Marvel and DC. There's that sort of um, perception that like indies are sort of like lesser than and everyone's just sort of only doing things in order to get like to Marvel and DC to work on like Spider-Man or Batman, which like probably 95% of the time, and that's probably an underestimate, is is just not um, like people's goal because you have many people that are like incredibly happy and that's just all they want to do is just their indie stuff and that's um yeah and that's like obviously absolutely fine because people are just creating companies that they're they're passionate about and that's what everyone should be happy and uh and excited about at the end of the day rather than um any sort of idea that indie comics are only like a stepping stone to something that's sort of in the inverted commas like important or like real or or, or whatever when right. when yeah it's just not the case yeah i mean i think that i think that the um when people view indie comics as minor league it's um it's it's uh rather i wouldn't say it's insulting you know but because i mean look like look what major league baseball's teams do with minor league teams i mean when i can look at my team they were plagued with injuries and they basically played a triple a ball club for most of the season until their big guys got well and could play again you know i think that indie comic creators are step step up in a different way and you know for those who are trying to get get to marvel and dc hey man i salute you i think that's great you know live your best life that's what you want to do with me personally i want to create something that somebody else is eventually going to own call me selfish but you know, I want I want to want to own what I create. I want to I want to control what I create, and I want to take it to the next to the next level, whatever that is. Whether it's a publisher or it's a um, whether it's a publisher or it's a um, it's a, you know the animation, wherever it's going to go, I want it I want it to uh, I want to hit those levels on my own terms. Yeah, and I think along that sort of read and, and I thought I think it's always fun when I think for because of partly because of like the model and partly because of the like, like the workload I think it's always fun when um independent comics sort of treat individual issues as what's the word sort of like artifacts like in amongst themselves like because you have like even like um indie company like people like Image or all the way up to people like Marvel and DC, they're just sort of like pumping out um, like issues like month after month, and that's like obviously like I like love loads of them, but I think it is really cool when you talk about doing like a deluxe edition for just like the issue one, just for one issue, and just that um, as a more of like like an air of like it makes it more special when these yeah. things sort of 
can go like issue can go and sometimes have to go because of the model like issue by issue and yeah at each step of the road can apply like even more care and passion because of that and it, you just hopefully end up with like a better comic uh, overall you know the deluxe edition on issue one was such such a success that we did bring it back for issue two and now people are clamoring for it from Pentagon. And so it's something that we're something different that we bring to the table for our Kickstarters. You know, if, if say say we did get picked up by a larger publisher, okay? I mean, look, and that's a year or two away because you know that we even be ready to do that because we have to have enough issues in the can to make it work worth with work with distribution. But you know, with lesser known, we we get the freedom, you know, to to work at you know at the time frames that you know are feasible for us. You know, we all have regular jobs and those sort of things, so uh, we have to handle all of that. But um, you know, getting to if you. Uh, you know, I totally lost my thought on that question. Can you repeat the beginning of the question for me? I apologize, that, Joe. About sort of treating issues as like individual um, oh. objects that are like special yeah. in amongst themselves rather than just like the next issue of Batman or whatever. Right. You know, all these things that we do for these Kickstarter campaigns and that, you know, we sell, you know, with the deluxe editions and that sort of stuff. It wouldn't be something possible that you could do with a, you know, with a, uh, a boom or something like that to have two issues yeah. come out every time, regular and a deluxe. But what we can do is take those things and put them in a, uh, you know, when eventually when we do a trade, do a really tricked out trade that includes all the fan art, includes, you know, the uh, all the different directors' commentaries and things like that where people can get their hands on all of that. You know, and uh, with all the additional sketches and stuff like that that we did for the, you know, the concept art and stuff like that. I mean, that's, I look forward to the day that we can do a really, really killer trade, um, hardcover or something like that, like an omnibus that would contain, you know, the first five issues of Bigfoot and, you know, uh, the main arc and then, you know, Adam's book and, you know, Adam and Casey's, you know, office that they've just finished with Pentagon and, um, you know, other one shots that we plan to do we've got we've got about two or three that we're you know developing right now and uh, you know based on how this one goes you know if this one goes well then we'll definitely we'll definitely bring back uh more one shots because people are enjoying the character people are enjoying the comic uh if they, they're getting something out of it then let's keep going yeah and i mean I, I always think that's really cool when that's mentioned in these sorts of interviews when sometimes you ask about like future plans and like, oh, how long do you plan for this to go on for? And then sometimes the answer is just like, uh, as long as people will, will keep like supporting it, which I guess is probably as exciting as it is scary, like a lot of things, but I think it's always nice to have such a raw um, sort of me- like like connection with, with that community and such a like a close and direct connection with that community in a way you, you just you don't get um when you sort of go up the the ladder to sort of um anyway um with, with like corporate comics and things you know we're you know i mean i had a vision of how the story was going to end and then uh you know we could finish five issues and you know leave it open-ended enough to come back to it you know later on and casey says to me hey got this idea how about we do an epilogue at the end of, of uh, book two uh, book five that immediately drives us into the next one and so i said to him all right we'll do it i'm not drawing it 
we'll do it, you know, because then after five issues, I'm going to need, I'm going to need a break and work on something a little different for a while. You know, I'll keep writing with Casey and on, on it and all of that stuff, but love to be able to take a breather on the second part artistically and then come back and do a, a long one shot, you know, do a, a long, you know, like a short graphic novel or a long issue, however you want to call it. And, um, you know, and, and pick up, you know, art on that again. Um, and then, you know, we always just kind of see this as minis, you know, mini series more than anything. I guess the chapters will keep going in the main arc. I guess that's how we'll have to do it. Chapter nine, chapter nine or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, again, indie comics, man, true indie. You got the freedom to do it. Do what you want. Have a good time. As long as, you know, not a, you know, I mean, look, you do these books because you like them, but you want, you, who wants to work in a vacuum? Who wants to yeah. only, you know, uh, only draw for themselves? It's fun, but, you know, it's nice to have an audience. And luckily, you know, we've been really fortunate with Instagram. We've been, you know, with everybody on there being really supportive of the project. We've been, you know, you know, very uh, lucky with our, you know, our, uh, Kickstarters up to this point, we've we've raised some good money from the books, and I'm very proud of that. Um, and then, you know, third part of that, I mean, you know, we've been able to produce a pretty quality comic. You know, the reviews have been strong, and people reacted to it well. So, if this keeps up and we have that momentum, then there's no reason we can't, you know, do a couple more. Yeah, and sort of famously, I think it's really cool how I haven't ever read Hellboy, but I really want to someday. But when that story had like a like a, a, three or four arcs that was just like this is like the main story and then right. sort of like in like recent years it, it, he's just sort of like you no know, there were like various artists and I don't, I don't know I don't think he does the art as much anymore but they sort of have like stories that are like set like here and there and over there and and he just sort of gets to have fun with it like whether wherever in the timeline it is and it just sort of made me think of like Hanagon as like a prequel where like the main story is set in the the present but if this like Bigfoot has lived for so long then there's like got to be like endless at least opportunities if you like only wanted to um actually like go through with or had ideas for like one percent of those opportunities yeah you know it's nice to that it's nice to be able to flow through the timeline. The character has so many years behind them that you can um, that you can really you know play with that. Um, it's it's nice because you know we can do side stories as we've been calling them, or these doing these um, you know these one shot comics as we're you know we're going to start you know working those out that we can play around. I mean, this first one takes place in feudal Japan, you know, which is quite a bit for the the modern era. And uh, so if, you know, uh, you have the ability, you know, you have a character that lends himself to doing something like this, do it. Have fun. Yeah. So, yeah, I think before we wrap up, do you want to, I think you said that the campaign goes live on the 20th, I think. Yes. Yes. We are doing, we hit Kickstarter Wednesday, September 20th. We go live on at 7 p.m. Central Time. There's going to be a live launch party on Instagram starting at 6.30 that night where myself, Casey Allen, Adam Caswell, and a slew of other indie creators are going to get online on Instagram Live and we're going to talk about Hinnegan. We're going to talk about uh, other projects that are coming up. We're going to, you know, that are going to hit Kickstarter soon. We're just going to wrap with a bunch of creators. But the really cool part 
is also we're going to be announcing our draw this in your style contest winners. We uh, had done a we have for Hennigan. We had done you know we want to do a deluxe edition for this, and so uh, we called for black and black and white artwork that uh, that we could put in the back. This was our first draw this in your style contest, and we were you know looking for five spots, and we ended up with um, 24, 27 entries into the into the contest. Blown away, just blown away. And uh, so actually this morning, Casey and I were paring it down for the winners. Uh, and got that where it needs to be. So we're going to be announcing that. And also on the live stream that night, we're going to be giving away prize packs so people can, you know, get copies of, you know, the comic or sticker packs or whatever. I'll just mail them out. I got a thermal printer recently. I'm really happy. So I'm just mailing everything these days. Also, we're going to, you know, like I said, uh, sorry, real quick. Like I said, in the Kickstarter, we're going to have the regular edition of the book with the cover by Adam Caswell and the cover color by Luis Thomas. And then the second thing we're going to be doing is the deluxe edition with the cover by Andy Bloor, who's a British artist, actually. And um, Andy's a good guy. And then we have a deluxe foil edition that is being done with by uh, Dennis Valencia. And how cool that thing is going to look. I can't wait to see it. It's going to have, you know, the regular cover with the gold foil logo. Um, uh, you know, so it's going to be pretty sharp. We've done a couple of foils in the past. People have been very receptive to them. So it should be really good, especially with Dennis on the cover. It's going to be amazing. So we'll also have sketch covers. You can buy blank sketch covers. We'll also have, um, you know, a uh, sketch cover, um, a sketch cover commission here by Adam, who's going to be doing those. And, um, and so, you know, there's some really great tiers. I don't know if you've seen my Instagram, but there's a Bigfoot Nose Karate Championship belt uh, that I take with me to conventions and people really seem to dig that. And uh, so we're going to, we're going to also have a tier for a belt. Uh, If you want to get a Bigfoot Nose Karate belt and get all the comics, we'll have that available. Um, I'll, I'll sign the belt for you, mail out, I sign all the books, you know, throw in some extra goodies in there and, uh, we'll mail that out to you. So we got a, you know, from $4 digital comics all the way up to, yeah, uh, the expensive championship <laughs> pack. Uh, we've got some, we've got a lot of different options for people to pick up the book. And so I really hope y'all do. I mean, really, you know, go check out the, uh, you know, check out the campaign. Uh, you can go to bigfootnosekarate.com to get that link, or you can go to my Instagram, danomite 139 That's D-A-N-O-M-Y-T-E-139. You can get the link from there. And, um, or you can pick up back issues of lesser, uh, at lesserknowncomics.com. Sorry, that's my cheap plug. How'd I do? Yeah, I think I mean this is always the space for at the end of the episode. I think it's just yeah. always the point where uh, I ask if there's anything else you want to mention, anything else about the the rewards or the comic or where people can find you online or just any yeah. of that. This is like your your final moment and opportunity to do so. Well, done and done, Joe. So that's uh yeah no, it's gonna be a good campaign. I really hope I come out to the live launch and uh, check that out, and uh, it's gonna be a good time. Yeah, I think it's always really cool when people offer something that's sort of like unique to the campaign like here with the bell and i know before people don't like an action figure or like a, a toy car so it's sort of always fun yeah. to have that um and have something like cool and unique in there amongst the usual um awards yeah you gotta you gotta do something different to attract people and you know get you know um there's some campaigns i've seen where they 
you know, they include like leather work and stuff like that. I mean, they just go above and beyond. And it's like, wow, where'd you come up with that? That's brilliant. You know, and as long as, you know, I know one guy, his name's uh, Richard Fairgray. He did, uh, yes. he did a sewing kit. You know, Richard, Richard's a good guy. Uh, he did a sewing kit in his current campaign for the XYs of Frankenstein. <laughs> that was really cool. Amazing. Really cool uh, tier. Yeah. So I give it up to people who come up with some cool stuff like that. Oh, cool. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to see what's next for Bigfoot Nose Karate in the future. And I hope people go and check it out and support this upcoming campaign for Hinogon and all of your um, other future campaigns. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on the show today. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, of course. It's always fun to like more, more people than it is so glad you had a great time as I did as well I had a great time thank you great well just uh, have a nice rest of your day you do the same Joe have a great one thank you bye Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for on this episode. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review the show five stars wherever you're listening. I would really appreciate it. If you want to keep up to date on new episodes, please subscribe. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email the show at joetalkscomics at gmail.com. Additionally, if you need any back issues, ratio variants, core variants, or just anything in general, cool stuff to do with comics, you can check out the website for Beaders Thingamajiggets, the comic book store in Fort Collins, Colorado, and much of these comics worked at. And use Joe Loves Comics at checkout to get 15% off. I don't get any money for that. It's just a cool thing for you to use if you want to yeah, check out their site and if you see anything that you like. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Joe Talks Comics. And finally, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Joe Loves Comics, where we can continue talking comics. That's all for now, and I hope to see you next time. Bye.